0: Hello friends and welcome to the Beta Rav Cook podcast, now obviously with intro and outro music, which is a pretty exciting addition. Each week here we aim to bring to you a short idea on the parasha according to the teachings of Rav Cook, accessibly and in English. I'm Carmel, your host, and this week, of course, we'll be talking about Parashat Emor. This week's ideas are based on Divrei Torah by Rabbi Ilan Goldman, Rav Zev Soltanovich, and Rav Chaim Ori Kutler. Now, there's a Kabbalistic prayer called Tikkun Chatzot that mourns the destruction of both Batea and Mikdash, and it's customarily said in the middle of the night. Rav Kook's Chavruta from a young age told the story that they would stay up learning until the middle of the night together and then say Tikkun Chatzot. But when they said Tikkun Chatzot, Rav Kook would burst out crying into tears. So the Rav's Havruta, of course, asked him, why is it that you have such a strong emotional reaction to this tefillah and I don't? And the Rav answered his question by saying that they just couldn't compare the experiences because he, of Cook is a Kohen. Now, Parashat Amor focuses in large part on the laws of purity with regards to the Koanium as well as dealing with the dates and the calendar of different Jewish holidays. But I want to focus this week on the first half of the Parashah, on how the Torah places extra restrictions upon Koanium in the name of purity, in a sort of extension to last week's parasha, Kedoshim, which introduced dozens of mitzvot concerned with making oneself holy in the eyes of God. In fact, the first thing I want to draw our attention to is a very clear repetition. In last week's parasha, we are given the famous umbrella command, Kedoshim Tihiyu, holy you will be, following which we are given the plenty of mitzvot through which we are expected to achieve this. And in this week's parasha, God says to Moshe, similarly, Kudoshim Yehiyu, holy they will be, specifically regarding Aaron's sons and all future Kohanim. So this begs a very clear question. Why the repetition? As Rav Kotler asks, what is the chidush or the innovation in saying it again? Surely the Kohanim are included in all of the original commandments to the Jews in Kudoshim Tiyu. But still the question remains why is the definition of a holy life itself different for a Kohan than it is for any other Jew? Why couldn't we maybe be stricter on kohenim to keep the mitzvot from last week's parsha? And further, why are these extra restrictions only placed upon those who are born into the institution? This is the second big question I want to delve into today. Why must the role of a kohen be hereditary or assigned by birth? Why can one not earn their way into working in the Beit Mikdash? Why can't you take on the Isurim, restrictions of the Kohenim, and elevate yourself to that next spiritual level? Because, of course, you can't be a Kohen unless you are actually from a line of Kohenim that have preceded you. So, to recap, our two questions that remain with us and that we're going to be delving into today are why there are so many extra restrictions upon Kohenim in this week's parasha, and why is this institution one that you have to be born into? Why can't you earn your way in? Now, before we delve into Rav Cook's beautiful idea, that I believe honestly accounts for both of these questions, I think we need to clarify the idea of Kudusha or holiness, as it's most commonly translated. I remember a very eye-opening shiur where I learned that the idea of kudusha is one that is based in duty and responsibility. In fact, you'll notice that anything in the Torah that is described as kadosh, or associated with Kudusha always comes with extra rules, restrictions, and duties that are placed upon a person, object, or place. It is these responsibilities that signify and distinguish anything as being kadosh. In fact, the example that really explained this idea to me and sort of opened my eyes in a way is marriage. Under the chuppah, you say, Hare li. Indeed, or behold, you are sanctified to me. You are sort of making the other more holy mekudeshet coming from this idea of kedushah Now that you are elevating yourselves in holiness, think about practically what that means for the two of you. You are placing more rules and restrictions upon yourselves and upon each other. Not, of course, to take away from you know, the romance and all of the other amazing things that come with marriage. But this is one very practical aspect of what it means to be kadosh or what kedushah is. As another example, take Israel. Or Eretz Kodesh, the holy land as we call it. The land in which, in all honesty, it was fairly complicated to live and eat in last year, given it was a Shemitah year. And you only keep Shemitah in Israel. And there are plenty of other halakhot and laws that you are only supposed to keep and only apply when you are in Israel, because it has that assigned label of being Kodesh and associated with Kedusha. And so, too, for a Kohen, let us apply this idea. God has chosen to make them kadosh, to make them holier, by placing extra restrictions upon them. And that extra kadushah is what this pasuk is coming to tell us. The pasuk kadushim yihiyu is coming to explain to us that for koanim, the laws that we were given in last week's parasha just aren't enough to elevate the koanim to this higher level of holiness and spirituality that would earn them their place of working in the Beit HaMikdash. So now, let us come back to our original question. Why the extra restrictions upon the Kohanim? Because it is these very restrictions that elevate the Kohanim to this higher level of Kedushah. But now we can add a second part to this question. Why these restrictions? Why must Kohanim distance themselves from the dead? Why can't they marry a divorcee or a convert? Why indeed can they not perform a sacrifice in the Beit HaMikdash if they are blemished? As it says in the Pasuk, Ki kol ish The Torah is very clear, actually, that koiniums should not spoil or damage their hair and bodies in a way that makes them appear unseemly. And there's actually, very interestingly, a clear standard of physical beauty with the koinium that must be maintained. But why? So Rav Cook brings a beautiful idea that the Torah exists not to distance man from the beauty of life, but actually the opposite, to sanctify it and enjoy it. The kohenim are our our personal role models and examples, and so are designed with these extra commandments to be full of life's joy and vitality, and full of agility in their enthusiasm for life. A kohen must marry, for example, because he hasn't truly lived if he's not married. The koanim get the best meat from the tremat or the donations of the people in quantities that are most likely above and beyond what a regular person eats. All of these things serve to reveal that the Torah exists to sanctify a love and a joy of life. As Rav Kook writes, Torah is supposed to be the love of our lives. Rav Kook writes extensively in about the prohibition upon the column to come into contact with the dead because they are the teachers of the Jewish people and their most noble moral influences and the morality of the Torah is fundamentally based on a love of life itself. The Rav goes on to write about how the Isur, or the restriction prohibition, of coming near the dead is in order to keep Koanim far away from the extreme of hating life. That coming into contact with someone who is dead could be damaging and depressing and that a Cohen by nature should have a simple and happy outlook on life that they can pass on to others purely by setting the example. This goes too for marrying a divorcee and maintaining physical beauty. A koan is supposed to live a relatively sheltered existence away from the darkness of life in order to maintain their innocence and wholeness. As Jews are expected to be a light unto the nations purely by setting a good example, so too Quranim are supposed to be our our light in that sense and remind us to love life and to love Torah. In order for them to be our Dugma, they have to be kept above water and be able to be capable of giving as much love as possible and the best public service that they possibly can. In any other case, how would we expect them to serve in our Beit How else would we be able to present the best of us directly to God himself? So now let us come back and finally address our second question, which I think in light of Rav Cook, actually feels a lot more clear. Why is this a hereditary institution? Now, this is a question that I'm sure particularly bothers those who believe the Torah to be based in an almost democratic idea of equality of life, that we are all created by tzelem in the image of God. So even more so, we must ask ourselves, why within the Jewish people do we have an institution designed for spiritual elevation that you have to be born into? Why can't anyone join or earn their way in? Here again, Ralph Cook's idea I believe fits in beautifully, but to get there I want to propose an analogy that might seem controversial, but just stick with me here. It's, it's quite fitting for me as a person who grew up in the UK to bring up the royal family, um, especially as King Charles' coronation is actually taking place tomorrow. I happened to be watching a debate the other day that revolved around the role and the function of the royal family, which was spurned by this statistic that stated 78% of British young people don't actually care about the royal family. They just don't matter to them. And so this debate started discussing, well, why should they matter? What is the function of the royal family? What do they actually do? A big point, of course, was made of the fact that you have to be born into the royal family. So even more so, why should the public buy into this monarchical, archaic institution that's only assigned by birth? Then a point was made that actually really hit me and made me think of this week's parasha, which was the stability of the royal family combined with the fact that they are essentially glorified public servants. Now, no matter what you think about the royal family, whether you are its biggest advocate or protester, the basic idea of a hereditary institution of public servants is actually quite genius when you think about it. Let me explain what I mean here. And I honestly think that Ruff Cook earlier incredibly alluded to this idea. The concept of a group of people who exist, who know nothing except for what it means to be a role model and who have experienced only an elevated existence, a higher perspective of reality only because they were born into it. The only reality that they've ever known is one that is relatively sheltered and is designed at its core to create positive influences on society. Now, the analogy with the royal family obviously reaches its limit. I'm not going to go into the details of the royal family itself or the institution or anything else. But just fundamentally from the perspective of hereditary responsibility, it's really quite brilliant. So let's come back to our koenium and repeat our question. Why is being a koen a role that is assigned by birth? The answer, according to Ruff Cook. It's because Hashem is designing chila an institution of leaders who from birth know nothing except the joys and the beauty of life and who are blessed with the duty of spreading this love and this life throughout Am Yisrael. Hashem brilliantly is creating for Am Yisrael as our guides, people who represent the highest, happiest, most beautiful order of living. And so that can be all that they know. That is their frame of reference. They are considered the best of us because they have only experienced the best that life has to offer. And there's this idea that this innocence almost needs to be preserved so that they can be our lights. So that that goodness, that wonder, that love of life itself that stems from Torah is all that they know. And so to finish off this week, I'm going to read a short section of Rav Kook from Orot et Khiya, from section Dalud, where the Rav writes, The Kohen, the most superior righteous person, full of benevolence and superior wisdom, he truly knows God. And it is upon his superior wisdom and sentiment that the entire nation relies in times where the current of life unites the nation with the best among them. Thank you so much for listening. Shabbat Shalom and until next time.